Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is K Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning. The Jack Mitchell vacation week continues. I'm Caleb Henry. Doug Fitzgerald is in with me in studio. Mark Vale in the KLIN newsroom. Guys, there is a uh, busy morning already happening near 44th and Oak. Mark, <laughs> are there still are there still yes. uh, police vehicles across the street from yes, us? Yes, indeed. I uh, don't know exactly what happened, but police have a few people uh, detained. I will put it that way. Okay. <laughs> So. Pulled up and police car pulled behind me and I check across the street and watch for a little bit, right? Yeah. Just to see what happens. And I'm thinking, now there's nothing. I get ready to turn. Next thing I know, they pull one out, cuff them. I come in. By then, Mark says there's a couple more. Cuff them. So. And they're still, they've, they've been there about 20, 25 they minutes. Have been, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep updated on that. It's not, not often that we've got news right across the street, but when we do. Well, whether or not whether or not it will rise to the level of news, we'll have to wait, wait no, and see. No, it's it's news because we can see it. You know what it's like in any neighborhood. Yes. As soon as, as soon as you start getting uh, a presence or there's there's an accident or something, it's news for the people there. So right, this is news I'll, for I'll, us. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, got a full show for you coming up today. Going to have Joe Jordan, News Channel Nebraska, in at seven ten. Jason Ball at eight ten, and uh, John Baylor. At 8.35. Got a lot to get into there because Nebraska Volleyball was part of Big Ten Media Days, the very first Big Ten Volleyball Media Days that has ever been held that yesterday in Chicago. And we got more from the Kayla Caffey situation, um, John Cook's side of things, where the scholarships were, how any of that was going to work. Um, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit in the morning drive, but I definitely want to hear what uh, what... John Baylor has to say on that because we we got John Cook's side at Media Days and then we got a clarification hours later and I'm actually more confused now. <laughs> so the, the the clarification actually walked me back on what it sounded like the situation was. We'll let we'll let JB take care of that when he gets in. Um, Sounds like. NIL had something to do with uh, or was involved in this whole process. Well, it sounded like so Caffey was not going to have an athletic scholarship for this fall, which makes sense because your scholarships are kind of full up and you're no longer allowed to carry extra um, scholarship student athletes. And so, she was on, had been granted her what, sixth? Seventh year. Seventh year of eligible. Seventh year because wow. she had a uh, um, she had a medical hardship in there. There was a red shirt and she had the COVID, COVID year. Yeah. Um, so there, there was a lot that it's kind of a perfect storm for getting those extra years, um, that seventh year for Kathy. And so she was seeking the name image likeness money to cover the cost going after a second masters, um, which then John Cook talked a lot about, um, the ills of NIL on, on where you can get some of the, the bad side of NIL in his opinion. Um, it was, I was hoping for more and there was a lot of, there was a lot of actual volleyball talk that came out of yesterday. I was hoping for a lot more of that, but the biggest news coming out of it, obviously for Nebraska, is the Kayla Caffey situation. So what was the actual confusion? Because she came out and said no scholarship. What did he say at the conference that he had to clarify? So he said at the conference that they had 
So the University of Nebraska had been given the go-ahead from the NCAA that they were going to allow Kayla Caffey to play for a seventh year. But Nebraska was going to get hit with a scholarship penalty, two scholarships over two years. So the way that comes out is that Caffey is going to get a scholarship or it's going to cost Nebraska scholarships. Mm. Um, So then the clarification later was that Caffey was not going to be given a scholarship. So that's why it was then she was searching for NIL money money to cover the cost on her end. Um, So then it just kind of like it gets into the weeds a little bit on where all the money is and where people are. But um, as it stands, we're a week out from volleyball practice starting for the fall. And Kayla Caffey, as of right now, has not announced a home. I take it the NCAA is involved in this in some way. They seem to get things all stirred up, don't they? I yeah, I'm sure. We'll let John Baylor yeah. really, and we'll 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 dive into it a little bit more during the morning drive. Okay. Um, but John Baylor should help us all understand that entire situation and a lot more of what came out yesterday with Nebraska volleyball because it, when you have the very first. Um, the very first event like this with Big Ten Volleyball Media Days, it's interesting to see what kind of spins they put on it. How much is it like football media days? How much is it like the events that you get when you have sports with a conference tournament, like basketball, like softball, where you get the whole league together? Um, So it'll be interesting to hear from JB his experience with, with all of that. Here... Obviously not in Chicago. There is. Uh, we're continuing to watch the that heat, though, Mark. It looks like possible yep. triple digits today. Yeah, they're looking at uh, an actual temperature somewhere between 101 and 103, but Oof. the heat index up right around 110 uh, for sure. We've already got a dew point of 68, and that makes it uncomfortable, but expecting the dew points to go even higher today. So, Mark, I almost called you yesterday. What would you call me? Because, well, you know, <laughs> we won't talk about that one. But the second one was I was on the deck yesterday afternoon trying to take a nap. I'm a heat guy, so I like the heat. I look at my phone and my weather app, and obviously it was wrong, but I kept checking it because when I checked it, it said the heat index was 138. You need a new app. <laughs> I know. So I kept checking at 38, 37, 30, 139. It felt like it anyway. Yeah. So Did you get a nap? I did. I got a nice little 20-minute hot nap. Yeah. Wow. So kind of like hot yoga, I guess. And started incorporating <laughs> no, no, hot it's yoga not like hot yoga. <laughs> That's no. definitely my version of hot yoga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the man version. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be very, uh, very hot. Uh, need to take precautions on a day like today. And not all, I mean, we're going to have a brief cool down, relatively speaking, more, back to more normal uh, tomorrow and Thursday. But then we uh, tick back up to 95 by Saturday and stay pretty warm uh, over the next 10 days. Uh, you know, about normal, which is around 90, upper 80s, low 90s. Um, so, you know, it's, it's summertime in Nebraska. Right. Not looking at storm chances until the weekend, right? Right. Uh, and you know, I'm not, it's still too far out to really tell how that, how intense Mm -hmm. or, or how widespread that's going to be. Right. So. All right. Well, I'm going to try to stay cool. Going to stay inside a lot. That's difficult though, with a couple dogs and a toddler of trying to find ways (laughs) to burn energy. Like, well, just so, bring, put them in the news booth here. I mean, I went out and got my sweatshirt. It's about 30, 38 degrees Ooh, in here. So Our Husky would like that. Yeah. Yeah, we've been spending a lot of time at the mall because they've got that play place over by JCPenney. 
So you can just go in, got a little playground, we've got some air conditioning. The outside playgrounds are more fun, but at least you can go burn. We a used those when our kid. That's been twenty years ago or so. We would we would do the same thing. It's nice. It was really nice. Uh, Mark, what else is going on in uh, in the newsroom? Well, uh, kind of a bizarre case came to public light yesterday. Uh, it happened overnight Thursday into Friday. Uh, a kidnapping uh, or alleged kidnapping, assault. Uh, uh, one guy up. It just happened in a warehouse up on North Fifty Six, or just off North Fifty Six, up by I eighty. Uh, evidently, it sounds like maybe a drug deal gone wrong, and and uh, two Lincoln men uh, basically kidnapped two other people. The guy they uh, tortured somewhat, uh, burned him with a blowtorch, uh, branded him with the word thief. They found him walking along a Gage County road Friday morning, uh, handcuffed. And then another, the uh, the lady came forward uh, later in that day, but they do have two people in custody, so we'll uh, see how that plays out. But sounds uh, not only bizarre, but kind of rough. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and there's no threat to the public. I, I watched the news conference yesterday they put out. Yeah, the uh, the second guy was arrested yesterday afternoon in Rapid City, so mm. that um, was one. We've got some Nebraska Task Force One uh, people in Kentucky helping with that. Uh, recovery effort task force one seems to find a way to go uh go help out across the They're, country they are an elite group yeah they are and uh, they get called on uh, quite yeah. a bit other than that you know not a lot going on city budget hearing yesterday um they'll be voting on that later this month so um not a lot to dig into you know it's pretty hard in a 30 to 45 second newscast story to right. go into the, the city budget. But I will tell you that that on, might be hard in a five minute newscast. Uh, actually, on last week's Business Beat, Lincoln Business Beat podcast, uh, we went deep into the LPS budget. Okay. But if you go back a couple of weeks, the city budget, uh, Bud Seinhorst at LIBA, the president and CEO, went deep into the city budget and he also testified at yesterday's hearing. So uh, he and his crew at LIBA really know those numbers and, mm-hmm. and i would suggest you check out that podcast if you want some deep dive stuff <laughs> on the city budget or on the lincoln public schools budget because yeah we went you know twenty thousand leagues under the sea on on both of them well that, that those are that's good information to have though to, it, to to have someone go through who's going to be knowledgeable of what those what those budget plans look like and what's going to be voted on. Yeah, it's a better than 7% budget increase in the first year and another 4% in the second year. So some pushback, especially from some uh, business organizations. Um, several uh, uh, people testified yesterday on it. So uh, Margaret Reese has got a, a very detailed story in this morning's Journal Star. I would recommend that to get into the, the hearing information that was conducted yesterday. But if you really want a deep dive in the budget... Check out that podcast. It's there at KLIN. Are we going to say it even though Jack's not here? Go ahead. Wasting away in Margaret Reesteville. Yeah. Okay. That's for Jack. <laughs> you you and Jack are the singers on this show. I'm the, I'm the pronouncer. No, you you when we go with karaoke songs, you find a way to whistle. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what you did? <laughs> Rather than sing. Um, talking about LPS though, Lincoln Southwest students no cell phones this fall. Uh, actually, yeah, they'll have cell phones, but when they go into the classroom, they'll be put in a designated area, so they won't be available during class. Okay. So, um, yeah, that uh, we've got uh, stories today with uh, 
Lincoln Southwest Principal John Matson. So we'll be covering that uh, throughout the day. Today. I was excited to hear about that. Sounds- having having raised my kids through the cell phone generation, mm-hmm. they got their first whatever it was a bug phone. You know, the one where you could basically track them and they could only call home. All the way through now, you know, they're twenty. I don't think we 25. had that when I got a cell phone. I know, and so, but I'm telling you, there is a there is a drastic difference with your kids when you take the phone away. Mm-hmm. They're engaged with you. They talk. They're actually present. And when they have their phone, they're not. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I saw that, I was I was cheering them on. My wife and I both were, were like, man, they're going to get so much more done in class. Right. So. Well, the, so there, there's good and there's the good and there's the bad. And um, just from talking with my parents, because my parents are both still teachers, yep. and my dad has been a full time teacher now for more than thirty years. My mom has been a full time teacher for. Um, less than a decade. My mom is much more on the technology side of how to take advantage of the technology, whether it's cell phones, iPads in class, all right. of those things. So my dad is a lot more. I think he finally stopped using the projector with his cursive <laughs> writing. That's how we took notes. He had all of it. It was written out in cursive, and we're like, nobody writes in cursive anymore, Dad, so please like, give us actual printed notes. But my mom, on the other hand, she will go through, and a lot of her lesson plans are based around the technology, and it's based around some of them on the use of cell phones. Hey, text in. We're going to do quizzes. We're going to do polls, and you're going to be able to see it up on the projector screen up front. So there are ways to utilize it, but overall, even thinking back to when I was in school and you started to really see people using more cell phones and having them on, um, on their person a lot more. You're going to get a lot more done, and you're going oh, to yeah. you're going to be able to pay attention a lot more just by that cell phone not being on you. Whether or not you're looking at it, if it's in your pocket and you've got it on vibrate and it goes off, your attention just moves oh, there. Yeah. Yep, it's a big deal. I, I think, think it's a big deal. I think, but I agree with you. I, I mean, it's going to be a good thing. I do, however, believe that there are ways to utilize that technology in a positive yeah. way. Well, you have to nowadays. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's just it. part of society. So, you but have how to. do you do it in a way? that removes the communication from the outside world and it's only focused on what the teacher's trying to mm-hmm. work with. How do you do that? I, I don't think you can at this point. Teachers have got so. enough to deal with. <laughs> R- remove one variable. <laughs> take that out. Now they're going to have to just take more time. How do I, how do I engage these students more? Mm-hmm. It, may, it may even put more emphasis back on the teacher, too, to say, all right, how am I going to keep their attention more. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. I wonder how many families, uh, have, I've heard of families doing this, but uh, there are no devices at any family meals. They're all put somewhere else. There's a lot I've heard about that. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was, so I've got another Hey Dad podcast coming out today with uh, with Larry Putney. Um, you hear him on Nebraska Public Media, Big Ten Network. But on Sunday, I recorded my episode for next week, which is with Dave Revson, the lead studio analyst with uh, Big Ten Network. And one of the one of the things that he said his biggest advice for for dads and parents is when you are present, be present. Right. So a big part of that was, especially in in our industry where it's news and with him and myself, sports. There's always something happening. So a lot of times you are scrolling, looking for that next thing that you have to know about, you have to report on, um, you have to be knowledgeable of. But for parents and talking about specifically family dinners, being present when you're present, I, there's a lot more people finding ways to be both creative in here's where the phones go, but also 
you kind of have to put your foot down at times and go, this is where we are right now. And for the parents, yeah, put pa- your phones down. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, that's the, a good point. The thing about that is I think there are, so, there are a lot of times where parents are more the ones that yeah. are losing track of time, losing track of where their mind is on their phones even more than the kids are. I agree. Or in my case, just losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not losing track of it. Just I mean, losing you're it, you're yeah. losing your mind. It wasn't the cell phone that no, was doing that. No. What were uh, what were classes like when you guys had uh, technology, Mark? Uh, I'm not saying that as like an old thing. I'm not meaning well, it to go that. But what was the just just the the classroom like technology wise? A lot of well, we had you know the, the map that pulled down uh, over the blackboard. We still had that. that uh, we had uh, overhead projectors, yep. uh, slideshows. Every now and then, you'd get a movie. But those were few and far between. Was that on like the uh, projector? Yeah, yeah, yep. You know where they bring the screen in and the the film projector. That was the best day ever in elementary school. When you saw the projector come out, you knew something good was going to happen. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, my dad being a history teacher, at times we'd watch movies in there. We watched The Patriot. He made sure to go through and slow mo and rewind, slow mo and rewind the scene where you see the cannonball take the guy's head off. Hmm. I had a quality education. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of taking their heads off, we uh, got rid of an Al Qaeda person. Uh, yeah, we did. We so uh, we've not, got some... not we personally, but no. CIA. We, we we America. Um, I'm sure uh, you'll you'll hear uh, Commander Riggins talk about that on DTL later today. Um, we're gonna have some sound on that in Sound Off once again. We're gonna have Jason Ball, John Baylor, Joe Jordan all coming up. Your morning drive. In a little over an hour. Sound off here in about 10, 15 minutes. But first, a break, and then we're going to get a check of sports. A lot to get into. Huskers opened up practice. Got some sound from Mark Whipple. That coming up next here on KLIN. Get today's top news and sports directly to your inbox. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com. John DeSauer. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the Sound Off on LNK Today. 6.36 in the capital city, 77 degrees on the way to a possible triple-digit day. Things staying hot. Hot enough for you? I think that's how Jack would say it. Um, Make sure we're staying cool out there, staying hydrated and a lot to get into in the sound off, and we're going to start off with, uh, we mentioned it in the first segment, they also had it in Fox at the bottom of the hour, but United States forces have killed a key leader of Al-Qaeda. President Biden announcing he authorized the CIA precision strike that killed Al-Qaeda senior leader Ayman al-Zawahri in Afghanistan. Justice has been delivered, and this terrorist leader is no more. 71-year-old Zawahri was known as the right-hand man to Osama bin Laden, who was responsible for the September 11th terror attack. Since the attacks on America, the U.S. has offered a $25 million reward for any information or intelligence leading to Zawahri's capture. He became the nominal leader of al-Qaeda after bin Laden was killed by SEAL Team 6 in Pakistan back in 2011. Families of 9-11 victims calling the strike a, quote, significant step forward. We are just over a month away from it being 21 years. I know, isn't that crazy? Since, That's what uh, I was thinking since about. Since 9-11. 21 goes by fast it does and you think you think the question to me is 20 how does it take 21 years to get a guy 
know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that all works, and obviously, one well, they've for, got all the intelligence, but it's it's always going to be baffling. And I know we talk about it on the on the anniversary of, of yep. September 11th, but there are and we talk about high schools, the differences in high schools where where stuff is. When even when I was in high school, you still didn't have the 9/11 attacks in our history book. It was just something that we we knew and we talked about it because we lived it. Right. It was something that happened and it was very much in our in our minds from a couple of years before. That's now part of the history books for a lot of these hmm. kids because they have no experience yep. with that. They have other experiences obviously, but that is something that they're not able to go, "Oh, where was I?" And for a lot of them, well, especially now through high school, they weren't born yet. Right. There are a lot of college kids, the majority of college kids, as a matter of fact, Excellent. when yep. you're looking at freshmen, sophomores right out of high school, were not born yet when you talk about 9-11. So the fallout from this and Al-Qaeda's leaders and people that were part of that planning process going into the, those attacks in, in New York City and Pennsylvania and um, other places... That's something that they ha- they ha- they have no experience with. Yep, yep. Like it, it's so hard to look at all of that. It and, is weird. And, and put myself in the the frame of reference of I knew exactly where I was, even the, even in fifth grade at the time. But for everyone now, it's how do you view nine eleven and the ramifications of something from twenty one years ago? Well, and and you think about that too. This is this is history for twenty twenty one years ago. The event happened, mm-hmm. but we're we're twenty one years later, and we're still making history because of the event, right? Mm-hmm. We're so we're still pursuing these people who actually did the attack, right? That's I've never you know I've now that I think about it, I never never thought about it that way. We're still in that history mode from that event mm-hmm. 21 years ago. Yeah. And our kids, like you said, are actually experiencing that because of the event itself. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday about the flooding in Kentucky and the California wildfires. Here's the latest on both of those starting out in Kentucky. Catastrophic flooding in eastern Kentucky has killed at least 37 people, and there are hundreds still unaccounted for, making this Kentucky's most deadly flood in more than 80 years, according to local reports, with even more rain expected overnight tonight as residents are trying to salvage belongings from destroyed homes and clean up their communities. Dozens of wiped out bridges, washed out roads, and Appalachia's difficult terrain all complicating efforts to help there. And then out west. In northern California, the McKinney fire killed two people who were trying to drive away to get to safety. They were trapped in a driveway as the flames tore through the small town of Klamath River, just south of the Oregon border. The McKinney fire exploded over the weekend to more than 80 square miles, an area roughly as big as Baltimore. It is now California's biggest wildfire so far this year. More than 800 firefighters are fighting the flames and watching for lightning. Several thousand residents had to get out of their homes fast and with the fire growing say they have no idea when they'll be able to go back crews don't have any part of the mckinney fire contained yet claudia cowan fox news and nebraska task force one is headed to kentucky and they've got i think they said they're going to be there like at least for two weeks helping Mm -hmm. out trying to find survivors number one and then helping out with recovery and then um uh all the effects afterwards. So that's pretty neat to have that connection to know that you know yeah. 
that we're we're part of that. And best of luck to all those folks going yeah. out there. That's that's not an easy thing to to get that call and be like you're going over there, but leave obviously everything they, here and leave. Yep, they, they, they understand that a little bit better than you and I do. Absolutely, uh, with, with knowing what their job is. But man, they are. Uh, that the, we thank them. Yep. Um, yep. All right. You've got Vice President is detailing a federal funding to help states prepare for the impacts of climate change. Vice President Kamala Harris calling climate change an urgent crisis, revealing over $1 billion in grants will be made available to states to help address flooding and extreme heat. The devastation is real. The harm is real. The impact is real. And we are witnessing it in real time. The announcement in Miami comes amid deadly floods in Kentucky and fast-moving wildfires in California. Harris says the administration plans to double the investment to over $2 billion next year. Adding projects will create millions of jobs. Officials say an additional $160 million will be ordered to help reduce the impacts of flooding. Kristen Goodwin, Fox News. We are 98 days away from the general election. (laughs) It's as we talked about yesterday. Double digits is starting to feel weird saying that. Um, we had our primaries already. There are some other places still having their primaries today. In Michigan, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer awaits the winner of a large GOP field of challengers. Also, several House races will set up for November. Republicans will decide a challenger in the 8th District for Democrat Dan Kildee, a staunch supporter of the Biden agenda. In Kansas, GOP Senator Jerry Moran faces a primary challenge before likely focusing on the winner of a crowded Democratic race. Out west in Washington State, Democratic Senator Patty Murray is competing in a top two primary where all candidates, regardless of party, appear on the same ballot, but only the first and second place finishers go on to November. Grinnell Scott, Fox News. First and second finishers from the primary. <laughs> we know what that's like, Nebraska <laughs> legislature. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're going to start to figure out a lot more of what those uh, November tickets are going to look like across the board. Yep. Um, what that's going to look like for the potential of who controls the House, who controls the Senate, what the last two years of term one or potentially only term for Joe Biden um, as very, you're going to hear it from both sides of the aisle, very important midterms for what the next two years are going to look right. like. And then we're going to see, you know, how are they going to try to impact that with lessening the gas price mm-hmm. and... um all the other issues that come about it'll be interesting in the next three months well we actually have that as our uh our, our poll of the week on for That's klin right. is what is gas price going to be on election day under three bucks three dollars to 350 351 to four dollars or over four dollars um so you can vote on that at klin.com but and then what will the gas price be the day after november 9th, election, <laughs> november 9th. Election whatever day. you think it is going to be on the 8th <laughs> double it for the 9th um you've got a uh, the the abortion discussion is being talked about all across the country, and there are a couple of uh, a couple of states that decisions this week. A case of dueling court decisions within hours Monday results in temporary protection for abortions in all Michigan counties. That comes as a state judge granted a temporary restraining order requested Monday by Governor Whitmer. Earlier in the day, the Michigan Court of Appeals ruled county prosecutors could enforce a 1931 law that banned abortions, even though the state was barred from enforcing it. Judge Jacob Cunningham has scheduled a Zoom hearing on the matter for Wednesday. Carmen Roberts, 
Fox News. And then today in Kansas. Kansans heading to the polls will see a question that asks them to decide whether to amend the state constitution to specify that it does not contain the right to abortion. It's the first state to hold a public referendum following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. If the amendment passes, it could give the Republican-dominated legislature the ability to enact new abortion restrictions or outlaw it altogether. Nearby states, including Missouri, have already put near-total abortion bans in place. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. And still no special session here. Right, and and we talked about it yesterday, and I think, you know, uh, Mark had a great point, is watching this play out in the courts across the country to see how that will impact us Mm -hmm. or decisions that we make here in Nebraska. So, yeah. So, continuing to uh, follow there. Hey, getting a, a little bit outside of the Midwest, NYPD says they're investigating men being lured to hotel rooms in the Bronx and then robbed. Kansas. Police say at least five men in their 30s and 40s have been lured to the hotels by women for sex. In each case, a man communicates with a woman on Facebook and agrees to meet her at a hotel. Then once inside the hotel room, the woman tells the man to take a shower. While he's in the bathroom, the woman lets an armed man and woman into the hotel room, and the thieves then pull guns on the man and threaten to shoot him. They then bind the male victim with duct tape and rob him of his clothes, wallet, and cell phone. Police are looking for the suspects, two women and a man, and say so far no one's been injured. Ted Lindner, Fox News. You didn't look like you knew how to how to take that entire story. <laughs> how do you there? even take that in? It's like a movie. You know, I, I think the answer is pretty simple. Just don't don't go with a woman who you don't know, right? <laughs> Well, you're it's pretty you're finding, simple. I mean, if you, just stay away. Well, you were just saying that that you were talking about people with golf courses and how creative yeah. people are getting. They're on going ways out there to rob people, robbing the golf clubs off the carts. You know, as people go in the clubhouses and stuff. <sighs> and now you're looking at you know, I how do you even react to this stuff? And we were just talking about in you know in Lincoln, how is this stuff all going on? I mean, mm-hmm. it's changed so much in the last five years, even. Um, we just you have to be vigilant. I mean, you have to be overly vigilant now, uh, just to protect yourself and your family. If you don't know people, don't go to a that's, hotel room and shower. That's and... pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple. But <laughs> you would think there you go. Uh, the mayor of Washington D.C. is asking for assistance in dealing with the recent surge in migrants over there. As the nation's capital gets a first-hand look at the challenges of responding to the migrant crisis, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser wants the National Guard on active duty to help. A National Guard source familiar with the request expressed concern, saying if the Defense Department authorizes funding, quote, it shows favoritism over the border states who have requested federal emergency status. Fox has obtained internal documents from that source familiar with D.C. National Guard planning, which say due to a significant uptick from COVID-19 and civil disturbances, quote, the readiness of the D.C. National Guard has been severely degraded. And the D.C. National Guard, quote, does not currently have a standing domestic response capability. Wasn't there a a number of of politicians talking about taking taking migrants from the border and busing them to Washington, (laughs) D.C.? That was a couple months ago? They're still doing it, I think. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. And now you're starting to see the the pushback from those areas mm-hmm. in the Northeast. Yeah. Saying, wait a second. Now all the stuff's going on. Crime's ticking up. They can't take care of the load. I think they're still at it. Oh, yeah. And then I don't think what I don't think you'll see. Remember, there was all the talk uh, a long. It was a while back, but 
when uh, when Governor Ricketts sent some uh, was it Nebraska State Patrol yeah to the border down to the border. Yeah. I can't remember if it was State Patrol or if it was some, someone else from, from law enforcement, right. but they sent them down to the board. Probably not going to send anyone to Washington, D.C. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, over there on the East Coast, there is a uh, a long-running music festival. It's not moving forward, reportedly because of that state's gun laws. The Music Midtown Festival in Atlanta has been called off. Billboard reporting the likely cause recent changes to Georgia's gun laws that prevent the festival from banning guns on the publicly owned festival grounds. The festival, which was supposed to be held mid-September, was said to feature headliners My Chemical Romance, Future, Jack White, and Fallout Boy. A statement posted on Music Midtown's website confirms the cancellation. The gun law, officially known as the Safe Carry Protection Act, expanded Georgia's already permissive gun statutes to grant residents to open carry. However, the Georgia Supreme Court in 2019 set new rules, which created a legal issue for Midtown. Michelle Polino, Fox News. I'm interested to see what other outdoor events that are held in public areas like that, if there, is, if there continues to be an impact. So they can't carry now. They can. They can. But the music festival wanted there to be no guns within right. their festival grounds. Right. Uh, which is on p- a public area, right? So that falls under the the places that you can carry. <laughs> I don't know. Confused yet? I'm totally confused. <laughs> I'm totally confused. Um, sticking with music, do you watch the uh, music award shows at all? Sometimes, you, sometimes, sometimes I do. Well, CMA Awards have announced their hosts. A football star will join Luke Bryan as host of the 56th annual CMA Awards. Peyton Manning will take the stage with the country music star and two-time entertainer of the year winner. This is the first time Manning will host the award ceremony. It's the second for Brian. Nominees will be announced in the coming weeks. Manning and Brian are friends. In a statement, the footballer said, I'm such a huge fan of country music, so to have the chance to stand among so many incredibly talented artists is an absolute honor. This year's award show will air live from the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville November 9th, which is a Wednesday night on ABC. Michelle Polino, Fox News. That makes me want to watch it. I was like, are you interested in yes. that host duo? Yes, I think that'd be great. I love Peyton Manning. I, oh, me too. I think it's great. And you pull in a whole sports genre. Luke Bryan has worn on me since he, he came out and is just kind of blah. <laughs> Like he came out, it was it sounded good at first. Then it just kind of you went, all right, you're going through the motions a little bit. Is the way I've watched his career, right? Peyton Manning, though, I'm tuning in for that. Oh, I'm all in. And then American Idol. I don't know. You do you watch American Idol? No. Okay, I do. Okay. So you know, I like Luke. Okay. You know, and that whole there's a lot of shit. people who do. I do. I don't listen to a lot of his music. I love him on the show. Okay, and does that see, make sense? That, that might be that might be different. So I don't necessarily like his music as much as a lot of other country artists, but I, I, I do liked, like him as an entertainer who just sounds, on the show sounds very hipster. I liked his early music, <laughs> and then then it all got kind of tired. But I haven't watched his, his personality in something like like that show. Yeah, so I like it. We'll see how it goes with the uh, the CMA. But the, there. bringing Peyton in, I think that's. That's pretty cool. It's a good one. I was intrigued. I know my son would be intrigued. That's a very Of course, he loves country music anyway. Um, The Commonwealth of Massachusetts has uh, closed the books 
on the infamous Salem Witch Trials. Governor Charlie Baker has signed the state's new budget into law, and in it is a provision that formally exonerates Elizabeth Johnson Jr., 329 years after she had been convicted of witchcraft. She was sentenced to hang for the crime, but was given a reprieve from the noose, likely because she was considered intellectually disabled. Johnson lived to be 77, but her conviction was never overturned until state lawmakers voted in May to exonerate her and make that a provision of the state's budget. Thirty people were convicted of witchcraft in the Salem Witch Trials of 1692 and 93. Twenty of them were executed. Jack Callahan, Fox News. Couple hundred years late on that. <laughs> Couple hundred years late on that. But it, it, it goes to goes to the fact of finding a way to you can't go back and change um any of the events that happened but exoneration is right. is, is it, that's within your control now <laughs> you know there there's some things that you can't go back and change but what's in your control now that's what Massachusetts went with this last one here we've got I put in here specifically for Mark Vale and I don't know if he's he's listening in the newsroom so I hope he is and he can hear this one because there's a new sports documentary that is getting its premiere Listen to this. Texas has Friday night lights. In Minnesota, they have hockey. And a new documentary, Hockeyland, follows rival high school hockey teams in Minnesota's North Country, which is one of the breeding grounds for hockey greats who go on to collegiate and professional play, including the National Hockey League. You are some of the best hockey players in the state, which puts you as some of the best hockey players in the country. The doc explores the communities grappling with their teen heroes through debilitating injuries, off-ice troubles, family concerns, and their expectations of a future in the NHL. It will hit theaters in the Midwest and Minneapolis September 9th before expanding nationwide. Michelle Polino, Fox News. Friday Night Lights on the ice. <laughs> Are you interested in that? Uh, nope. Just I specifically am, because it's hockey? I am not a hockey guy. Just not. Is it So are you uninterested uh, in that specifically because it's hockey or because it's a Friday Night Lights type of because it's hockey okay i have tried i uh, we we lived in dallas for a while when the stars you know won the cup Uh we went to some games i tried to understand the rules i still couldn't understand the only thing i liked was the fights so if there's a lot of fight scenes maybe i might i might i'm sure there's gonna be some off ice fights but but i just I, i just i am not a hockey guy i like i've tried even with the stars i've tried so when I oh, I was in Central Nebraska, you had the Tri City Storm. I really enjoyed them. Yeah. I enjoyed the uh, Des Moines Buccaneers when I lived in Iowa. I like the stars here. I'm a traveling hockey person. Are you? I like the barns. It's fun. Yeah. Go in there, see their arenas. Have you played hockey? No. Have you ice skated once? Once. I think I ice skated twice. I was not good at it. I can tell you that much. <laughs> they are not luring me in by my ability to be on the ice. Uh, it's 6.57. That's your sound off. This is Helen K. Today with Jack and Friends. 7.09 in the capital city. Continuing to uh, heat up this morning. Actually, we've dropped a degree in the uh, the last 20 minutes nice. or so. Down, We're down to 76 <laughs> degrees. Still going to get hot, though. So um, don't don't lose hope about hitting triple digits. Tuesdays, 7.10. We talk with Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska. Joe, welcome in on a uh, Jack Vacation Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. How you been? Hey, I'm good. Got uh, Doug Fitzgerald in here in the studio with me, and uh, 
the things are just lighter when uh, when Jack Jack is gone because it just feels like the conversations are different. <laughs> Everything's a little bit fresher in the uh, during the breaks, and and obviously I get to talk to the guests a little bit more than I normally do. Um, but I've been gone, and I understand you've been uh, you you've been a little bit out as well over the past week or so. Yeah, there comes a time when you got to take a break, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there does. But th- I think that's going to go away here pretty quick um, because we talked about it uh, yesterday. Sunday was the 100-day mark until the general election, November 8th, for this year. So now we're 98 days away. How, mm-hmm. how Joe, how soon until we start to see stuff really, really ramp up for, for, the, for the general after a lull out of the primaries and special election? Well, I think with the, with the public, when you talk about seeing things, I think the public is probably going to begin seeing commercials, mm-hmm. uh, most likely right around Labor Day, uh, the quote-unquote traditional start of the campaigns, although as we all know it's actually the last <laughs> leg of the campaign. But that's when that's when the public is going to be asked to, to, to tune in and take a look at these uh, races. Uh, obviously, in, in, the, in the Omaha area, uh, where I'm based, mm-hmm. the, the second congressional race is going to be uh, – Pretty heated, uh, you know. The second congressional district is a, is, a, is an odd duck. Yeah, uh, a lot of people think it's a purple district, and and technically, I guess it is. But realistically, if you go back over the last twenty five years, Democrats have only held the seat for a, you know a few years here and a few years there. It's basically a Republican seat, and Democrats can, can now and then you know sneak in and, and get it. And when they do, they hold it for a couple of years if they're lucky, uh, maybe two terms, and then then they give it back, and the Republicans hold it for you know, for the next five or six terms. Right. So um, this year, there's a belief that uh, on the Democratic side, that Senator Vargas, uh, State Senator Vargas, uh, can can knock uh, Congressman Bacon uh, off his perch. Uh, yes, it's possible. It's it's it, it's it, this is it's, this is a scenario every two years that the Democrats think they that now is the time to do it. They haven't been able to do it, you know, since since Bacon was first elected, and uh, you know. I understand their argument. I understand where they see they can make the inroads. But, you know, history, the uh, off-year election following the president getting elected, the out party usually gets a bunch of seats uh, and, and, and holds the ones they already have. So it's going to be tough on Vargas. Uh, not that it can't be done. I do think the Democrats might see a push at the polls because of the uh, Roe v. Wade situation and, and Democrats upset about that, wanting to get the vote out. But but with inflation still being a big issue, and I presume it will still be an issue in September, October, mm-hmm. going into November. But you know, I'd like to be wrong about that. <laughs> um, but assuming it's it's still a, a problem, um, I think you know I think that race is going to be it's going to be hotly contested. There's no doubt about it. There's going to be a you know millions of dollars spent, uh, and and we'll and we'll see. But but again, uh, this purple district for Omaha, it, it, it's 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 a it's a little bit of a reality check on that because it's basically a uh, a light, I would call it a light red district, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. So I paid, obviously, more attention to what the congressional district looked like around Lincoln when it got to redistricting. How mm-hmm. much is, is that going to impact up there around Omaha for that district? Well, I think it's going to have a pretty significant impact. If you think, if you realize that, uh, that Saunders County, which is which is a relatively red, <laughs> politically red county, 
is now part of the second congressional district, and, I, and I'm not sure, to be honest with you, how many people know that right now. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even sure people in Wahoo know which district they're supposed to be in right now. <laughs> but uh, but having said that, uh, if you take those votes, uh, I, you know clearly the redistricting helped uh, the Republican Party in the second congressional district. Uh, they they moved you know some votes out of Sarpy into the first district out of Sarpy County into mm-hmm. the first district, but uh, those voters in, in Saunders County are now part of the the uh, the Omaha Metro, which is a little bit odd. Uh, I'm not sure what you know. I you always when you talk about redistricting, they talk about trying to have a you know commonality between voters, and I'm not sure there's a lot of commonality between the voters in in Wahoo and the voters in the inner city in Omaha. But that's where we are right now, and um, that that's going to give us a new uh, parameter to look at going down the road on how those votes break. Uh, you know, I, I've got to believe. I know Senator Vargas has has, has been to Saunders County, has uh, campaigned there, so to speak. I'm not sure how intently uh, they're working in that area. My guess is they're going to really be working the vote turnout in uh, in the in the Omaha area and try to offset whatever. Uh, Republican votes come in from Saunders County and and the Republican parts of uh, of Sarpy County, but it's, but again, I, along with everything else that the, that the Democrats are battling against in this race, uh, I think that's a problem as well because I think most of those voters in Saunders County are are certainly the majority starting the Bacon column. Mm-hmm. So Nebraska most likely to to stay red across the board, and that's um, leading to. Not not because Nebraska's got a, a large impact on this with just the uh, the three members of the House here, but uh, with the House as a whole nationally likely to to flip Republican, and then the the Senate is still up in the air on that. Um, what, what are you hearing from from Nebraska congressional members on what what issues are looking like for November with the possibility of flipping the House? Well, I think the, the issue is going to be the economy. It always is, and then and then and then one A is going to be the Roe v. Wade issue. Mm-hmm. But taking this another step uh, in terms of what the voters are going to see in 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 the, in the coming uh, weeks and months, I, I'm really interested in in the, in the governor's race. Yeah, not necessarily because I think it's going to be a close race because I don't have any reason <laughs> to believe it's going to be a close race, but. I'm I'm curious to see how uh, Republican Jim Pillen campaigns going forward. Uh, there's been no indication yet that there's going to be debates between uh, Mr. Pillen and, and, and State Senator Carol Flood on the Democratic side. Uh, I, I, I part of me presumes there will be, but given what happened in the primary when uh, Mr. Pillen, you know, said I'm not going to do debates, and he didn't, and he won, why would you? If you're Mr. Pillen, why would you debate in the fall if, you know, put anything at risk, mm-hmm. uh, give Carol Blood any, any opportunity to make any inroads? Uh, if, if, if it worked for you in, in, in the Republican primary, why would you venture into debates against a Democrat? Yeah. Or, or will it just, and if you say, well, there's got to okay, will there be one? I mean, I don't know. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mr. Pillen's been pro- pro- relatively quiet on uh uh, media interviews. I saw something where indicating that maybe after Labor Day he uh, he would begin uh, begin a more of a public push. But but you know since the primary it's been extremely quiet on the Republican side. Uh, 
uh, Carol Buzz tried to make some noise, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for one candidate to make noise if the other candidate just walks away and, and has a rose garden <laughs> uh, campaign. Yeah. Uh, pretty much uh, it's quote unquote ignoring you. So uh, I'm really interested to see how this Republican uh, Democratic race for governor plays out again, not because. I think the Republicans are going to lose because I, I, don't, have, I don't have much doubt this, how this is going to play out. It's going to be, you know, 60-40 Republican win. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. But I am curious to see how the campaign plays out and how much the public gets to know about Mr. Pillen and Carol Blood between now and November. That's a very good point because I, I agree. I think the... the we we know which way the vote is going to go and and who's most likely to get elected, um, but the campaign part and the interest in seeing what that's looking like, especially after there was the change up in the uh, the party leadership for Nebraska GOP, does that have any impact on how? Obviously that you have Jim Pillen's campaign, but are there, are there any changes with that because of the change in GOP leadership? My guess is that that between now and November, the Republican Party. Uh, in terms of their support for Republican candidates, is not really going to change. Right. I, I mean, obviously, the the, the uh, Herbster people are upset, and some of the Lindstrom people are upset by what they thought were, you know, those what they thought were uncalled for attack ads led by Governor Pete Ricketts paychecks or payroll, uh, uh, you know, payments to to campaign uh, commercials. But uh, I don't think, you know, I, I'm sure that the leadership of the GOP, even though it's new. Uh, they're they're going to be behind the Republican candidates. I think after that we'll find out how much difference there is. But between now and November, I don't expect any change. But you know, campaigns are about ideas, mm-hmm. and 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 supposedly the the public gets a chance to hear the ideas uh, that these candidates have. And right now, I'm not sure the public knows really, especially those outside of the Republican. Uh, primary voters, and that was a pretty small number of voters across the state, if you recall, because it was a, it was a primary, and you you know how many thirty percent of the people yeah. voted, it, it, you know, just of the Republicans, <laughs> registered Republican <laughs> voters. So that's a pretty small number, and and I, I you know you'd like campaigns to to show the public what what what's coming for the next four years, uh, possibly eight years from a from a from a, a Pillen uh, administration. So again. Uh, without getting too you know, uh, far afield saying that Pillen's not going to talk to anybody between now and November, I am curious to see how public of a campaign he has. Or is it just going to be you know, uh, talking points here and there and, and commercials? I mm-hmm. will, It's wait and see as far as I can tell. Yeah, we're talking with Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska. Um, something else we're still watching as we get into these last few months. Do you think there there is going to be a... Um, a special session as we talk Roe v. Wade and how how big that's going to to play into the the general election this November. But for here in Nebraska, are they going to make that make that happen, or just going to wait for the new legislature in the spring to see if they bring any legislation forward? Clearly, every day that goes by lessens the likelihood of a special session mm-hmm. because at some point you got to say to yourself. Let's if we get. I mean, there's no, there's nothing on the table right now. Uh, if the governor announced today that there was going to be a special session, uh, it would probably be late, late August, uh, early September. Well, by that time, you're, you're now you're three months from you know having the new legislation uh, legislature. 
why are you going to spend you know a hundred thousand dollars a day for on a special session uh, that could last got to last at least seven days and could go longer so you're looking at roughly a, spending a million dollars not that the state can't afford it but mm-hmm. it's a million dollars is still a million dollars yeah um, when you're going to have it when you're going to have everybody back in 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 January uh, and and the chances are that the the way that the votes divide up right now uh it's 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 very close whether they could get you know the votes needed to to change the uh, the, the abortion uh legislation in Nebraska and it may be it may be as dicey in January depending on how a couple of uh, key legislative races come out but again i you know right now i i'm going to be surprised if there's a special session because every day that goes by makes that more and more unlikely to me yeah talking about those those legislative races how what 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 is the what some what are some of the seats that are likely to maybe flip some of those votes one way or the other? The the one that I know of uh, is in uh, it's in basically Southwest Omaha. Uh, Kathleen Koff was uh, appointed by the governor to replace Rich Pauls. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a gentleman by by the name of uh, Tim Royers, uh, Millard school teacher. Uh, a lot of support in the uh, Millard area, which is basically where that district is, and um, he's not. A, he's, as I understand it, he's still gathering signatures to get on the ballot uh, because of the way that, with the, with the Paul's death, how that whole thing played out. He had to go out and get some signatures to get on the ballot for November. Uh, I don't have any indication that that's not going to be the case. That he won't be on the ballot, and, and that will be that will be one of one of a couple of uh, uh, potentially key races in the in the. In the when we talk about the balance of the legislature anymore, it's not, you know, 50-50. It's can the Democrats hold on to 17 or 18 seats <laughs> yeah. so that they can so – that, so that the Republicans can't get the 33 votes they need to stop Democratic filibusters. Mm-hmm. So there's they're hanging in the balance right now. I think the odds are, if you look at the way some of the people that are retiring and leaving the legislature, um, uh, I think the odds are you're going to have a more – uh, a bit more Republican control of the legislature uh, than we've seen for the past few years. But again, uh, the voters will make those final decisions in, in November. But my guess is right now that the Republicans could pick up uh, a little more momentum going into in, into January. Interesting. That's Joe Jordan, News Channel Nebraska. Joe, I appreciate it as always. We'll we'll get Jack back in here to ask whatever nonsense <laughs> he wants to talk about next week. <laughs> hey, congratulations on the marriage. Hey, thank you so much, Joe. You have a good day. Take care. There you go. We'll uh, get a break here. Sports coming up. Your morning drive in about 15 minutes. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Want today's top news stories? Top Husker stories? You can get them sent straight to your inbox every afternoon. Just sign up for the daily for free at KLIN.com. KLIN. A lot to get into this morning without any further ado. Number five. Well, that U.S. drone strike that killed al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahari is intensifying global scrutiny on the Taliban in Afghanistan. They'd pledged not to harbor members of the extremist group as they seek desperately needed international aid after overthrowing Kabul's western bank government. But al-Zawahari's killing nearly a year after the U.S. military's chaotic withdrawal raises questions whether the Taliban leadership even knew that one of America's most wanted fugitives lived among their elite in a highly secured Kabul neighborhood. Now, there's also rumors that uh, persist 
about unease in the Taliban's ranks, particularly particularly between the group known as the Haqqani Network, which sheltered uh, al-Zawahiri and other Taliban figures. So maybe somebody ratted him out. I mean, it's possible. They are not necessarily best of friends. Yeah, and Doug and I were talking during the sound off how we're now, we're almost 21 years since those attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon and other portions of the United States on the East Coast. But this is now something that, as we talk about it, for a lot of us, we've got memories of what happened yep. 21 years ago. But high school students now are going to be hearing about this, going in, getting ready to start school this fall. But they only know it through their history books. It's so wild to, to try to wrap my head around that. And the, the, the impact is still going on 21 years later, still looking and for people. Yeah, it's still playing out. History's playing out. It's really, it's, it's unique. Well, it, it goes to show that it may take a while, but some of these people are eventually brought to justice or eliminated. I, I, I'm not sure that brought to justice is the right term, but they are eliminated from the battlefield, and it's been over the course of the last four administrations now, mm-hmm. including the, you know, it started with uh, George W. Bush. I mean, he took out a couple of them. Then uh, Obama took out uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, Trump took out two, including uh, uh, Salmani. Mm-hmm. And now uh, with al Zawahiri. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce many more of these names going forward. But, uh, you know, there is a concerted effort. What I think was really unique about this one is it kind of shows what we'd heard about a year ago, that we could continue to to work in Afghanistan with this over-the-horizon type stuff. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a long ways from Kabul to where I'm sure these that drone was uh, uh, launched from. But this was not a Defense Department uh, action. This was the CIA. So I'm glad to see they're still uh, operating, and obviously quite effectively. Yeah, and may- maybe they found, maybe they found the right informant or two within all of that. That that now they've got what they understand is quality information, and can can go forward and continue to to keep the world a little bit safer. But don't be surprised if there isn't some type of retaliatory measure somewhere in the world. Oh, for sure. But uh, in the meantime, anybody else that's still on that wanted list is probably going to sleep with both eyes open for a few nights. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Moving on. Number four. Fallout from Kayla Caffey's decision to transfer continued yesterday at the inaugural Big Ten Volleyball Media Days. Nebraska coach John Cook explained his side of the situation before talking about the ills of name image likeness. Uh, and then he had to release, a, or he did release, a statement late last night clarifying some things. So what's uh, the takeaway from this? Uh, is this clear things up, make it clear as mud? Or? Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk with John Baylor in about an hour and um, because he's the voice of Nebraska Volleyball, so he, he's a little bit uh, more partial to what the details are. But from, from being able to, to understand it, Kayla Caffey wanted to be here, wanted to come back for a seventh year had to get all of that cleared with the NCAA and Nebraska's compliance department, went through and and worked their tails off for weeks and months to be able to get the NCAA to approve it, got the approval. Um, The understanding from Cook's comments in Chicago was that Nebraska was going to be penalized scholarships um, over a couple of years. but Because of the seventh year? Because of the seventh year. So that's kind of the... I think that's maybe the trade-off for Caffey being able to play a seventh year was that Nebraska would be penalized scholarships. Um, but 
Cook then came back later and in his comments said Kathy was not going to be on scholarship this fall. She was going to be having to pay for this semester through name image likeness deals. So we don't know if that means that she had enough deals arranged to pay for this fall or if someone got a hold of her and said you can make more going to X location. Right. Um, and we still don't know where Kathy is going. You're, you're a week out from teams starting their fall practices. What's that going to look like? Because she's going to be a boon wherever she goes. And she's been part of the team this whole time. For, for a couple of years. What, and she started out at Missouri. Right. Transferred to Nebraska the last couple but, of years. But I mean up till the last week. Yes. And so does that you know leave a big hole for Nebraska to fill, or are they going to be able to, to move forward? That's the other part of it. You've you've got the uh, the six five freshman who's also going to be playing on the basketball team, right? Um, Maggie and I'm forgetting her last name. I believe it's Mendelson. Uh, but then you have Becca Alec, middle blocker. So you've got two very very talented freshmen. That as I was looking at the way the team was set up, I was hoping that they were going to get this year to learn from. You were going to get Kathy, right. and you've got Horde, who's up front, who just transferred in from Penn State. And you were going to have two All-American middle blockers that those two freshmen were going to, in my opinion, hopefully learn from, right. and then take the reins the next few years. Well, now, you've got to figure out which one of them can jump in right away and be that second middle blocker alongside Horde. Long term, probably really good for Nebraska that you're going right. to get all that experience with one, maybe both of them, depending on how they rotate. But for this year, you hope one of them can step up enough because Nebraska picked second in the the Big Ten, which makes sense because Wisconsin's the defending national title um, national title holder. But what is that going to mean once you do get into the season? Are, where are Nebraska's title hopes for twenty twenty two? Is it are you still the the favorite? How much are you the favorite by or? Are you now second or third in the projections for this fall? And preseason, right? Preseason poll came out for Big Ten, correct? Yeah, Big Ten just, so be, just behind two. Wisconsin. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a little bit to figure out there. And when we talk with uh, <clears throat> when we talk with uh, Baylor here in about an hour, we'll we'll get into more of what happened at Big Ten Media Days. Sure. But with the Kayla Caffey situation, there's still a lot of fallout coming from from that decision to transfer. So if I'm getting this straight. The NCAA gave a year of eligibility, and they take it away two scholarships, huh? That's the way I was understanding it from Cook's comments, okay. is that there was going to be a penalty for her to be able to take advantage of that seventh uh, that seventh year of eligibility. Okay. Confusing stuff, as always, from the uh, National <laughs> Collegiate Athletic Association. Yeah, no kidding. Number three. Well, the city council had a budget hearing yesterday, the proposed budget. Uh, 7.4% increase first year, 4% in the second year. A lot of people uh, testified yesterday. Uh, first of all, there was testimony uh, from uh, some people supporting the uh, newborn uh, visitation by nurses uh, from the health department. And the mayor's budget proposes adding seven people to that. That drew some uh, response earlier from Richard McGinnis. He said he didn't think that was a, a good thing to put in the budget because it becomes a permanent type thing. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of support for it. And uh, also uh, support for continuing the no fare on StarTran because uh, the mayor's budget uh, has it going back into effect later this fall. So uh, that was kind of the highlights of that budget committee uh, or the council budget hearing. Uh, Margaret Reist, 
uh, wasting away in Margaret Reese Deville. Has a complete article in the Journal Star. <laughs> if you want to uh, go check it out, uh, the, they'll vote on the budget August twenty second. Is the the actual vote on the budget? If you want to get deep into the numbers, mm-hmm. I'd suggest going back to our podcast page on the Lincoln Business Beat because uh, Moi and uh, Bud Sinoris went deep in. Well, Bud went deep into the budget. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and you can find out more information, including the number of FTEs that uh, are being proposed to be added to this budget. But also goes into public safety, LPD, LFR, uh, all of that, and uh, gets into a lot of details. So pretty interesting uh, if you want to get into the weeds on the budget. I already know you had a missed opportunity in that podcast to call it the Budget. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how how much is because usually with these budgets there there's an increase in spending. What what were those? Seven point four percent first year, four percent second. Year. Okay, so still less than inflation though. Well, yeah, but the yeah, <laughs> but then we're uh, also seeing there there was a slight reduction in the levy proposed because uh, property taxes the actual collections are going to be higher because of valuation increases. And they're also seeing a fairly significant increase in the amount of sales tax revenue. So uh, hmm. we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. But there was also, uh, in, in our discussion on uh, Lincoln Business Beat, how uh, there is a dividend required by the city that the city gets paid on your electric bill. So it's kind of mandating a dividend on your electric bill that then goes back to the city. So some people think that is, in essence, a tax, mm-hmm. but it's not labeled that way. And in StarTran staying free, but I know they're still looking for they're looking for drivers. Yeah, they're twenty three uh, staff short. They're cutting back service beginning uh, either the fourteenth or the eighteenth, uh, cutting off the evening service at seven and other mm-hmm. some other uh, on demand services because. You know, 23 drivers in this size fleet, that's that's significant. I'm seeing a lot of advertisements for drivers. Yeah. Yeah, now uh, CDL schools or, or dr- truck driving schools are offering uh, to, to get you through, pay for your CDL, pay for your training, because mm-hmm. they're getting placement bonuses. Yeah. One thing I learned from that meeting yesterday, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, Mark, but StarTran, the majority of that budget's federally funded, correct? There is quite a bit of uh, federal funding, and of course, there was federal funding uh, from the um, the pandemic. But that funding, as uh, base as I understand it, is basically run out. Oh, okay. but uh, the 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 special funding. But yes, I mean transportation in this country gets a lot of federal yeah. funding. To what extent, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't go deep in the bud jet. Ah, there we go. You're gonna course, you're gonna overuse yeah. that one now. Uh, no, no, I'll get laughed off. But it, it'd be a lot easier. I mean, on all of this, state, uh, county, oh, city, no. LPS, oh, it'd be no. a lot easier. If we just had the fair tax. <sighs> it's a sign horse to the times. <laughs> Number two, media allowed into the Nebraska football practice for a portion of yesterday's fall camp. Uh, Matt McMaster, our uh, new guy in the sidelines, took in the action. Caleb, he, uh, I get, I, you, I'm pretty sure you two had a pretty in-depth discussion about what he saw. Yeah, I had to cut him off at one point because I said there's other stuff I need to be doing at the radio station. <laughs> he, he had a lot of notes and it was really good. And um, so there, there was a lot that he went into, and I, it's, it's even more than I could put into our practice report, which you'll hear in a few minutes. Um, but the quarterbacks looked good. 
Um, he did say Logan Smothers looked to, to struggle on a couple of throws. Heinrich Harburg, um, really good arm. Richard Torres, fantastic arm coming in as a freshman. So you still expect him to be fourth or fifth on the depth chart, but that's good news for the future. Chubba Purdy, number two on the uh, the snaps. Casey Thompson, the clear number one. Um, Matt was telling me that he saw a lot of the skill position players getting reps on special teams. That's something that we've heard has been a discussion from a number of the coaches. They want those starter caliber guys to be getting the reps on special teams. Um, and they were they were getting a bunch of those. So that's good to hear because that's been an issue the last couple of years. Um, you don't know that it's all personnel, a bunch of guys on, on special teams outside of what you heard last year. It's not special teams, it's specialists. Um, so you hope that it's across the board the level has come up on that third phase of the game. Um, Trent Hickson adjusting to being the new center looks really good. Um, obviously, you're replacing a pretty decent guy in Cam Jurgens, who went second in the uh, NFL draft, and he's been here the last few years. So, got to get that right. Teddy Prohaska, um, all fixed up and looking ready to go. Also, Turner Corcoran on the line there. Uh, Caleb Tanner, Oshawn Mathis. Just beasts on the defensive line. I'm so ready to see what that defensive front ends up looking like. And then also running backs. You had had, uh, Ramir Johnson running some good routes. Looks like they're going to try to use him more in a slot role and get him wheeling out of the backfield. Yant had a good catch on a uh, a wheel route. And the uh, tight ends, mostly running seams. Not a lot of out routes. And at times we saw Austin Allen looking really good going towards the sideline. Mostly seams is what they were able to see in their little bit yesterday. Is there another... How many times is is the press allowed? Twice. Twice twice this fall. Yep. What's the kicking uh, situation? That's a good question. I don't think they saw a whole lot of of what the kickers were were doing, but you've got your your transfers, and that's pretty much going to be what it is. I don't think there's going to be too much competition with the kickers, which to me is a good thing. Because there's been a bunch of competition, and last year it was just kind of, all right, who's the guy this week? And you're rolling out multiple kickers a game, multiple punters a game. I, I hope it's it's Bushini, and, uh, and and you go from there, and you don't have a bunch of guys going. Well, this guy shanked a punt. Get the next guy in out there for this next punt, and then he he doesn't kick it very well. So, all right. Hopefully, the specialists take a step forward as well this year. Number one. Pre-K enrollment dropped about 300,000 students last year, which hurt educational progress, increased inequality, according to one of our favorites that supply this type of information, Wallet Hub. Wallet Hub. They released their 2022 uh, report on states with the best and worst early education systems. Uh, Nebraska actually did pretty well in it. Uh, the quality of early education, uh, Nebraska was 16th in the share of four, three- and four-year-olds enrolled in pre-K. Tenth in income requirement for state pre-K eligibility. Fourth for pre-K program growth. It's pretty good uh, compared to a lot of the other parts of the country. And overall, when you add up all those scores, second. That's indeed. Second. behind. Do, do you know who they're behind or did you pull up the... I do you not. Pull up? What state do you think is number one for the best early education system? Well, I know Minnesota's got a great uh, program. I did not pull the pro- the uh, this summary up, but I would have to say Minnesota is right up there as well. So Minnesota is actually 48th. Oh. Wow. Min- Man. Minnesota oh. is actually 48th. See, see what happened when I left the state? I mean. Uh, exactly. Um, so number one is Arkansas. 
Really? Number three, Maryland. Fourth, District of Columbia. Five, Rhode Island. Six, Alabama. Seven, Oregon. Eight, Vermont. Nine, West Virginia. Ten, New Mexico. Now, West Virginia gets a lot of, uh, gets a big boost for their access to early education. The resources and economic support, not so good there. But Nebraska, number two overall for best early education system. We've had some good education uh, reports from Wallet Hub lately. Yes, we have. Love to hear it. That is your morning drive brought to you by Stonebridge Insurance and Wealth Management. It's 756 Sal and K today with Jack and Friends. Rolling along here on a Tuesday morning. Caleb Henry alongside Doug Fitzgerald, Mark Vale in the KLIN newsroom. Chris Lofgren bringing you that time saver traffic. And Jason Ball, Lincoln Chamber of Commerce president. Uh, Jason, you had some fun with the traffic on the way over here because we've got that construction on O Street out here just in front of uh, Broadcast House. That's right. I'm a man-on-the-street interview. I'm here to tell you there's some minor backup uh, heading east on O Street uh, right outside the KLM. All right, let's go to the chopper, and we've got Jason out there. Um, But, yeah, there there are certain ways around, and you figure out your routes. Doug was saying he just drives the same route every time. I do. Sometimes you can't do that. I know which potholes to avoid. And then you take a different route, and all of a sudden, you know, your truck's bouncing all over the place. I don't know them. These are the potholes that I'm used to. Lincoln's worst day in traffic is still better than Austin's best day in traffic. So yeah. take that. Think, t- think a big picture here. Yeah. That was a really yep. political way to say horns down. Good job. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so you've got a lot going on. You got a budget. You've got the economic vitality strategy. There's. Yeah. At what point do you ever slow down and go, hey, it's summer and it's, the school hasn't really revved up and people aren't, they're not back for college classes. Football season's not here. Yeah. Do I'm- you take a break? I, I don't. Um, I'm I'm really really bad at slowing down, as as the the team will tell you, and uh, and as my wife will tell you. Um, but it, it, you know, it's it, part of that just comes out of the energy of the type of the work that right. we get to do. It's 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 really motivating. But no, we we're we're biting off a lot this year, and we're doing that on purpose because there's a lot of work that um, the business community and, and Lincoln as a whole community uh, deserves to have happen from our organization. And, and you shared that your team is growing and you're yeah. excited about that to be yeah. able to take on all that work. Well, I'm going to jinx it if I say it on air, but I'm going to risk it anyway. We have a full <laughs> team. We're very excited about that. Um, we're, we're, we have a, we have a staff of 25 folks and that's across, across, uh, the, the chamber proper, if you will, as well as the convention and visitors bureau. So the folks that work with our hospitality industry and our hotels to bring conventions and events here. And then our economic development team that does anything from uh, uh, helping local business grow to, to bringing new business into town and then a whole lot of workforce development uh, work right now. That's great. Yeah. So you talked at the economic development breakfast last month, would have been a couple weeks ago. What what is the economic vitality strategy for yeah. anyone who hasn't heard of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and I'm sure there's a lot of people that haven't. But um, no, we're we're really excited about launching this process uh, this year. Um, we rolling in the the Lincoln community has benefited so much from the work of the 2015 Vision Group, and that actually started all the way back in 2003, following uh, Angelo's economic study that the Chamber commissioned all the way back at that time. and And we've seen all the great outcomes that it took from the business community leaders and 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 a, and a small group of them really sitting down and saying, "Okay, we have you know this list of articulated needs. Let's start prioritizing these and pushing on them." and And that's really created all the benefit that we're 
we're, we're, we're seeing today. It's time to do that again. If you look at what most of the pillars of the 2015 vision study have, have been, most of that work's been completed and we're seeing all the, the great things that we can do at Pinnacle Bank Arena. The mm-hmm. South Bypass is almost uh, completed construction. There's a lot of work to do there for infrastructure connections and economic development. And then, uh, uh, all the growth that we're seeing along Antelope Valley and in the Telegraph District. And I could go on and on and on. Um, so these, these plans really can be a catalyst to drive a community forward into its next version of what it's going to become. And we also know if we don't do that, we're, we're at risk of slipping backwards. Mm-hmm. So we have commissioned a study with a, a, a group uh, called Broad Ripple Strategies. Um, there are two leading economists that, that came out of a previous group called Market Street, which is also a leader in this industry. Their, their whole job is to advise communities like ours on what we need to grow. How can we, how can we take down projects uh, to, to be this next big step? And I'm, I'm so excited to invite everyone listening today Please go on to the Chamber's website this morning as soon as you can at lcoc.com, as in Lincoln Chamber of Commerce, lcoc.com. Right there on the landing page, uh, right at the top towards the right side, you're going to see a, a box in one of the pictures, and it's uh, economic survey. That is open for anyone to take. All of that survey information you take is anonymous. We're not tracking anyone through that. Um, I don't even believe you're asked for your name, if I'm not mistaken. Um you're asked for your opinions on what Lincoln needs right now. And we are hoping to break a record for community engagement in that survey so that people have their voice heard in what we're going to achieve next. And it says it only takes about 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah, so it's You're not sitting short. down for an hour, two hours to, to give feedback. That's right. It's, it, it's asking you broad general questions. You know, how, how easy is it to do business in the city? How concerned are you about uh, uh, transportation and infrastructure needs? Uh, what's education like for your family? Mm-hmm. Um, it even has a few different tracks depending on what uh, general industry you're in or if if you're a student, there's a student track, and so we're encouraging uh, uh, high school and college students to take it. Um, you're going to start to see uh, invitations to participate this uh, in this show up in your electric bill. Uh, there's going to be some signage go up in, in some other public places, uh, and we're working on some signage in, in public libraries. We're, we are trying to cast the widest possible net we can so that no one in this community can say, hey, I wasn't given an opportunity mm-hmm. to you know, give my input to what this community needs. Next. How long is that survey going to be up? Uh, we, we don't have an end date yet, so you got to get there as soon as, as you can. can. Yep. Uh, um, it, you know, we're going to keep driving to, to get uh, – we've got a specific goal in mind for the number of surveys that we're trying to uh, encourage people to do. Good. And so if we can hit that goal tomorrow, we'll, we'll be able to pull it down quick. Um, I just really encourage people, please get there. Like Caleb said, it's short. Um, so you said the, the 2015 group, that's obviously still impacting us. And you said that went all the way back to 2003. Yeah. I yeah. was in junior high, by the way. Well, uh, and, <laughs> and so I, I think we are working to uh, now today for today's junior hires, uh, to, to make a community that they're excited to be in and stay in. Right. And then that, that's the, that's. Besides saying that I was uh, in junior high in 2003, the, the fact the fact is this goes that was almost 20 years ago. So yeah. you guys aren't looking 
how to improve the community in 2023, 24, 25, it's a lot further out, right? Yes, absolutely. Obviously, you want short-term, but there's a lot of long-term that you guys are looking for, too. Yeah, look, communities like Lincoln, if we want to maintain our trajectory of growth, we definitely have to keep our our short-term growth uh, objectives in mind. Um, But if you think about starting in 2003 with a group that said, hey, we think our community can can be doing some things it's not, uh, you know, they didn't even roll out the pillars until I think close to 2006 or seven, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and then we didn't get the vote on the arena until much later. The arena wasn't completed until the end of 2012. And so the, these are all long ball things. What, what gets me excited is this community is in the habit of thinking that way. Uh, the chamber's part of the mayor's study on a second source for water. That's going to be not even just a, a 20 year project, but a, a two generation impacting yeah. project. Um, you know, we need to be thinking with that hat on as well as uh, things like the convention center study and the work that uh, Jeff Mall and the, the CVB are doing right now on uh, with Rotary 14 and the Downtown Lincoln Association uh, to figure out where that asset needs to be located to the maximum benefit for everyone here. Uh, other uh, discussions you guys are uh, involved with, city budget. Yeah. You know, we're talking about what the city's doing short term. They got to get that figured out, right? So, so what are, what are you guys looking at from the chamber? Yeah. So, it, and and I want to stress before I answer that question directly, we're we're working with budgets at all local uh, and state mm-hmm. government levels. So, so we will chime in on on all of the government ent- entities' budgets if we if we feel like there's something that's going to be a direct impact to the the business community. Um, within this budget, there are uh, there are three specific items that we're really paying attention to, and they're they're based on feedback that we get from uh, businesses, uh, predominantly the development and con- construction industry, but also other generalized business leadership in town. They're just trying to do projects or get their next project built. Um, there's a real focus on trying to find how we can uh, uh, speed up processes, find efficiencies, uh, make things just kind of move along through the process a little bit quicker uh, than than they do now um and it, this is all happening at the same time where the city will tell you they're having record permits and so we've got a record amount of of activity happening um and so we've we've shared this feedback i know that the city gets it directly uh we've we've had some high level conversations uh with the administration and with city council members uh about this articulated desire from the business community um they've told us look if if we're going to achieve what we think we need to part of the solution is going to need to be um, adding some additional seats uh, within building and safety in particular. They feel like that's where um, some additional bodies will will do that, have that impact. And so we're we're saying that makes sense, uh, right? If we've got a larger workload, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, expanding that uh, uh, that group that can work on it, that makes sense. Um, at the same time, I don't think that will be the the sole solution to this, and and we are working with them behind the scenes to. Uh, uh, find some other efficiencies and find out what we can learn from some other communities. So, so that's good. Um, there's also an economic development specialist position, uh, that is going to be working within the administration. Um, that position is, is really going to have the, the defined role. And it's one that, uh, 
Mike Lang filled when he was aide to the mayor for the previous administration for economic development, um, which is just helping work across departments on projects. Uh, right now, if there's a department jump, sometimes that can create uh, a, a communication challenge, either with uh, the business or within the, the, the city somewhere. And projects are complex. I think that makes sense. And so having someone that is taking the big picture view and helping ushering things along makes sense. They're going to work on both job growth projects and uh, affordable housing type of uh, work. And the Chamber's involved in both right now uh, because the affordable housing picture really impacts what we're able to do for workforce recruitment and workforce development. Um, and then finally, they're replenishing the Fast Forward Fund, which we're very excited about. Fast Forward Fund was most recently used to support the $38 million expansion that happened out at Duncan Aviation. That's going to create another 75 jobs that are uh, uh, high-wage paying jobs and, and good career paths for, for Lincolnites. Um, but the, the balance of that fund at following that use had just gotten to a new all-time low. And we really shared with the council, uh, we'd, we'd like to see some more money put in there. That is our only local tool for economic development that we have. Everything else comes from the state. So the, those were the three areas that we really paid the most attention to in the budget. So and just real quick, because it, it popped into my head as you talk about creating the jobs for, for people to have here and you want to have the affordable housing, but you combat that with Lincoln and Nebraska having such a low percentage of unemployment how how do you get the people here to fill those jobs yeah it, look it, that's a challenge for i know every i would get, i know i would get right paid now. a lot if i knew the answer to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's my job to know the answer, and and I'm going to tell you right now. I asked that. I just just came from a convention of uh, other colleagues that are economic development leaders in their communities. This is the same challenge that everyone is having uh, right now. On the whole, nowhere in America is producing enough bodies to keep up with the growth that's happening in the business community and in our economy. Hmm. And so that's that's great because we have a strong economy. That's challenging because with low unemployment, uh, we've we've got those issues. To answer your question question directly caleb the 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 housing component there is we have just got to get more rooftops built in lincoln that is our our number one uh challenge i can say that with uh full authority because i purchased a home here uh within the past three months I'm i've, I've experienced this myself <laughs> yeah it's it's a rough market out there right now um and so that's also a national trend we just haven't built, been building enough houses right now so so we need the the full mix of housing we need the 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 huge high-end homes mm -hmm. for people that, that need that type of product. We need the, the starter home for the couple that is just trying to get, get their first house and, and make that a home for themselves and, and, and hopefully start a family and settle down and have roots in Lincoln. And, and we need uh, affordable or accessible housing for people that are, are in situations that, that might need access to tools so they can find some stability mm -hmm. in, in their, their living situation and then get up into the market rate. We need all of that. So at the same time, we've got record construction going on we need to find ways to speed that up and that's that's a infrastructure conversation that the chamber's been having with the city for a long time we're going to continue to do that with our partners how excited are you the the chamber and all the businesses that we get husker football and volleyball and all the sports starting later this month and we get into the fall and then there's people coming into the city and spending money and 
The business is like that, right? Oh my gosh, it's this is a, a good huge, time of year. Yeah, so so this gets into our visitor industry role, and I know you guys have Jeff Mall right. on here uh, most Fridays. Jeff and his team do amazing work helping that type of thing happen. Certainly, Lincoln has uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to uh, when it comes to those assets, um, and it is such an important part of our economy. Everyone that comes here for a game, particularly if they drove in from out of town, they're usually at least going to stop for gas many of them are are, are going to have a meal some of them are going to stay longer and do other things in town they are dropping sales tax dollars along the way it continues to be one of the most robust parts of our economy and why lincoln weathers economic downturns i think better than maybe other cities our size that's Jason Ball, President, Lincoln Chamber of Commerce. Jason, and uh, anything else you want to mention? You got into a lot of stuff. Uh, I think I've rambled enough at the whole audience. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having me in, and, and uh, I hope to see you again when Jack's back from a well-earned rest here. I'll, I'll sit over here. I'll let him handle most of that conversation <laughs> next time. Uh, we're going to get a break, check of sports. Still John Baylor to come. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com to get today's top local and Husker news sent straight to your email. Waking babies in the North Bottoms and then helping them ace the ACT since the 90s. It's the voice of Nebraska volleyball, John Baylor. John Baylor on the road as Nebraska was part of the inaugural Big Ten Volleyball Media Days. Caleb Henry, Doug Fitzgerald in studio. JB, how's it going? Uh, How how was uh, just getting to take part in the media days for your sport? Uh, sport. I think it's great, Caleb and Doug, for the sport, obviously. It just heightens awareness, puts us on a platform, puts the sport on a platform that it's long since deserved, especially the Big Ten, which fills up arena after arena after arena, whether it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Penn State, uh, when there's a big match, Ohio State now. And, and so it's uh, long deserved, and uh, it's just great recognition, and uh, hopefully it's here to stay. Nebraska picked uh, second behind Wisconsin for for the league, and um, obviously Nebraska and Wisconsin were were uh, one two from the 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 uh, national. I was about to say state championship, the national championship <laughs> this uh, this last year. So it makes sense there. But did did you learn anything from going through, seeing all the media days, hearing from the players in a different way, seeing all the teams in one place, watching John Cook try to make a TikTok? <laughs> um well I'll tell you, I personally was not at Media Day. The Husker uh, uh network did not send us to uh Media Days themselves. But I've been following it. It's all been on Zoom yeah. or uh, not what am I saying? It's all been on the big network. <laughs> uh so uh no, I mean look, I've been preparing for the season so I know a fair amount about the, about the teams and uh I did you know, one thing you're seeing is the power of the portal. Uh, you've just got teams able to reload. I mean, for example, Wisconsin, which is actually going to be up there on the podium today, has got uh, a brand-new left side. Uh, you know, Sarah Franklin, the best player at Michigan State, is suddenly going to be out there on the left with Julia Orzel. So they've got two All-Americans on the left. And uh, uh, so, again, they've got two player suddenly now in the middle uh, with Anna Schreck and, and Daniel Hart. Uh, and another transfer, and and so I mean, every team now that's in the upper echelon can have the expectation of reloading. So you can lose a Dana Redkey, 
the only five-time first-team All-American in the history of the sport and uh, the future of the sport as well, because players conceivably will not be playing five years in the future. Right. Uh, and then and Sidney Hilly, uh, uh, one of the great uh, setters of all time, maybe the, maybe the probably the greatest adversary at that position the Huskers have ever had. I mean, mm-hmm. she lost one time to Nebraska, so Sidney Hilly needs to be in the same breath as as uh, Destiny Hooker and some of the all-time anti-Huskers, and she's finally gone, and then they also lost their libero. So you think, okay, they're going to take a step down. I think most Husker fans feel that's logical. Not in the portal era. They have absolutely reloaded. Now the question comes down to their setter, uh, who's an unknown. She's played one match, effectively. That was during the COVID year. She beat Minnesota, so uh, that's legit. Uh, But uh, that's a complete unknown. They have a brand-new player from Turkey who's 18 years old. who's going to try to take over at libero. So, you know, two really important positions where they're unknowns, but tons of weapons still. Bottom line is teams in the upper echelon can reload every year. There should not be rebuilding years in the future. At least fan bases and athletic directors will have that expectation. And Nebraska reloaded with a uh, a, a mi- pretty decent middle blocker. But uh, So we're not going to get too far into the weeds. Just what what do you understand from the, the Kayla Caffey situation in Coach Cook's comments yesterday? That Nebraska is out of a scholarship right now, that there's just not an extra scholarship, unfortunately, for Kayla, that uh, this dragged on and it came down to the 11th hour, unfortunately, for everyone concerned. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for Kayla to find a suitable place now if she truly wants to play a seventh year, which sounds like she does, because the programs that fully fund volleyball and fully fund all 12 scholarships the ones that have a chance that to win titles, the type of program she belongs in, they're probably out. So they're in Nebraska's scenario. Uh, the other thing is, you know, uh, she's a non-resident. She's a native of Chicago, of Illinois, and, you know, she's just going to be here one more semester. I mean, that's probably $12,000 with the scholarship she'd get for academics and other things. She's a second-year master's student. So we're, we're talking about twelve grand, and with NIL, my guess is that, you know, there are uh, Husker um, boosters who own businesses that would love to have Kayla Caffey represent them. So uh, it's uh, it's a complicated scenario that, uh, what, that you know, that has led to this situation where she's going to have a tough time finding a school with a scholarship, a chance to win titles, that is going to be able to give offer her a program for a second uh, master's. It's, it's truly a complicated, unprecedented uh, scenario, but just a Unfortunate for Nebraska fans because she is one of the more beloved players in recent memory and just yeah. had played such a huge role. I mean, just you cannot underestimate her role, uh, you know, playing in the last two years for Nebraska, especially with Lawrence Stiverns' injury woes. I mean, it's Kayla Caffey, who became a dominant middle uh, offensively and defensively, a bit surprisingly, that uh, really was part of the glue that gave Nebraska its chance at a championship last year. So now moving forward, you, you have to replace her in what was going to be the expected starting lineup. Is that Becca Alec? Is it Maggie Mendelson? Either way, you're kind of looking to underclassmen for that role. Oh, absolutely. Um, unclear, but, but uh, Mendelson's 17 years old. You know, I, wasn't, I wasn't still trading baseball cards at age 17, but I was barely out of the baseball card trading era of my existence. So. That's very young, and we, we've got super seniors out there. She's going to be trying to play against 23-year-olds. I mean, I mean, if you're in, 
you know, 77 and you're hanging out with 83-year-olds, that's not that big a deal. But if you're 17 and playing across the net from a 23-year-old, that's huge. So uh, if anyone can, can do it, all reports are it's, it's Maggie can do it. But I give Becca Alec the, the, the advantage in part because she was around this spring. She knows the system, and uh, she's, she's just played fabulously in the summer for various uh, national teams. Uh, so, uh, you know, Waverly is well represented. One question I'm going to have for the coach this season is, does he recruit other Nebraska high school? <laughs> we got three Waverlyans on the team, and uh, two of them might start. Well, yeah, he's got there's there's Norris is on here too, you know. There, there's there's right. other. So so I guess your your question should be: Does he recruit outside of Lancaster County? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He goes through phases. It's like he had this obsession with Papillion La Vista South for a while. Now he's got this obsession with Waverly. It's amazing how these these high schools get monopolies. On on the best talent in the state, there's so much talent in the state. It's all spread out all over the place. The Huskers can't take all of them, uh, but it's just it's it's really stunning that Waverly High School, this Class B school on the edge of Lincoln, has three Huskers, and they're going to play big roles, especially now with Kayla Gaffigan. You got Becca Alec. Everybody loves Whitney Lonsky. I mean, mm-hmm. she's got one of the greatest arms I've ever seen at this level. I know that's saying a lot because she's barely played. Also. At least last year, it wasn't clear where the ball was going. So when she was playing, you needed to wear helmets in the first couple of rows. You didn't know where that thing was going. You just knew it was coming at high velocity. JB, that's and strategic. Honestly, if, if you don't know where the ball's going, the defense doesn't oh. either. I mean, everybody, when she comes in, the, you know, the, the official strap-on helmets, I mean, everybody gets ready. That sucker is a rocket. I love it. But uh, and then Ani Evans, if, Ani, if someone could just give Ani Evans three more inches, she's a first-team All-American. I mean, yeah. she... She's a, a placement setter. She puts the ball where you want it. It's soft. Such a team player, loved by everybody. But you know, doggone it, blame her parents. I mean, she got stuck around five nine. But uh, she's. Uh, I mean, her mom was an amazing athlete at, at Wesleyan. Uh, her dad was a great wrestler. Uh, I mean, she's got she's got it all. Her, her brothers were walk ons with the football program. I mean, she she bleeds red in every way. But uh, those three from one high school are going to be you know. Uh, pillars on this year's team. Well, and it's a good thing Lindsey Krause's holding it down for our friends in the Omaha Metro. Yeah. Then, thank goodness we got to keep those <laughs> Omaha fans because Creighton's got a heck of a program. Yeah, we got to keep them loyal. That's right. So as you, um, as we're just coming up on the the start of, of fall. Obviously, we want to know if Coach is going to uh, recruit outside of Lancaster County a whole lot, but yes. it, it's weighing heavy the the transfer that you did get with Caitlin Horde at a position of need at this point with middle blocker. What what else are you you curious about learning from the team as we do get ready for practice to start? Oh, well, uh, who's going to play better? Yeah, oh, is is, is it going to be Kennedy? Let's hope. I mean, she hasn't played much for two doggone years. I mean, two years ago, we were probably fairly similar, but in the life of a 19, 20-year-old, that's a ton of time. She has not played much outside of Nebraska practice. Now, before she got here, she was arguably one of the most decorated volleyball setters at the high school level in the history of the sport. She was the starting setter on the the first uh, under-19 national team to win the world championships, and she was on that. She was the full-time setter on that team and 6-1 and a great blocker soft hands but she's still recovering from the ACL so 
and she had some other nicks and bruises this spring. So that's the big question. You got Nicklin Ames' insurance there. And then how do you replace Kayla Akana? I mean, mm-hmm. she was a heck of a player and provided more than depth. Uh, so not only does she tremendously upgrade Texas, she downgrades Nebraska's back row a little. Well, you're starting from incredibly high points. So you could probably afford it. But those are two uh, big issues. But I can't wait to watch Maddie Kubik. I mean, her growth from sophomore to junior year was as much as I've ever seen a Husker. I mean, she went from, like, you know, fighting to keep her position as the second outside hitter as a sophomore to being in control at times of the match. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was just, the game just slowed way down for her. I mean, it was it was Michaela Fecky-esque at times for her. And so she's got another year and so devoted, and I, I can't wait to watch her. She's the only unanimous pick for all Big Ten by the coaches going into the season and the entire conference. I mean, think of all these amazing players in the conference. Maddie Kubik is the only one that every single coach voted for first team all-conference preseason. So there's just a lot to look forward to. And and now Whitney she... Lonsky, where do we find a spot for Whitney Lonsky? <laughs> I know. Uh, that, that, that's a big question. You're you're trying to figure out who's going to take that that position at middle blocker, and then it's there. There's not enough hitter positions any uh, to get everyone on the floor. If I say change things to eight on eight, it would simplify <laughs> coach's job. And Maddie this year gets to play with her sister. Yeah, I think uh, Haley's probably got another year. I, yeah. I think she's a good prospect of red shirt. Um, she was the number four recruit in the country, but that's. That's the uh, wealth of uh, talent Nebraska has. You're number four recruit in the country, and you get time to really focus on the books. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, work out, build some muscle, come back next year and start pounding away. So, yesterday, JB, we got to go on the sidelines for a portion of the Nebraska football practice. How many, oh, pra- how many volleyball practices can we get down to the sideline, do you think? Oh, as Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay has all the power. Yeah, Lindsay Wishmeyer, she, she's got, she's, she holds the keys to the kingdom. And just say you're with the Jack Attack morning show and you love Husker volleyball and he's always chatting about it. I bet she lets you peek there for a while for, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes, <laughs> once or twice a week. But go through her. Hey, uh, we, we had this in our morning drive. You might find this interesting. So Wallet Hub, which is famous for just doing surveys and putting out their uh, whatever, I guess, they do. But their their latest one went through, and it ranked the best and worst early education systems for states. Where do you think Nebraska finished in that? Early education? You mean like pre-K? Yeah. Pre- How is Nebraska for pre-K? Solid top half, but still room for improvement. Number two overall. That's what I thought. That's exactly what I predicted <laughs> right there. But not number one. Still, you've got some room. Yeah, I've got to chase Arkansas. The, Arkansas has got the number one free cape program in the country? That's that's the way they've got it, uh, got it slated out with their methodology here. Check out the headquarters of the publisher. Probably Little, <laughs> probably little Rock. Probably funded by the Walmart family. <laughs> um, but but they had three major pillars, access, quality, and then resources and economic support. Um, and Nebraska was fifth in access, second in quality, and then 24th in resources and economic support. So they're, they're... It's clear now, It's clear now, Caleb and Doug, that the best invest, one of the best investments that 
that society can make is, is in the early years. I mean, so much is determined with great consequence prior to age five. And we're in a country where we have huge learning gaps in kindergarten. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're walking as a kindergarten teacher, and you've got all different levels. We're not talking ninth and tenth grade. We're talking kindergarten, that the gaps are already that wide, in part because we don't have universally terrific pre-K like they do in Sweden and Norway and Japan and Singapore and country after country after country. And we pay a huge price for that because those five-year-olds typically live another 75, 80 years. And so the data is clear. If you're going to invest in education, you get your best ROI pre-K. Yeah. And I'm, I'm now personally invested with that with going, okay, what are the, uh, what are the next few years like for my daughter? Oh, I love it. So now, and, and you probably, Caleb, have the means and your wife to make sure she's going to have a, a, a rigorous, a rigorous, excuse me, immersive, um, uh, dynamic five years. She's going to enter kindergarten as my kids did way ahead. But so many young two-year-olds and three-year-olds don't get that. Yeah. And we got to figure out how to improve that because we're going to pay. We are paying. We have paid a huge uh, price as a country and a society. Well, I can tell you that anytime she naps, I make sure I've got a uh, onto college video playing for her just to I let her absorb it. it. On to college, starts in middle school now, but we're going to start going elementary, pre-K, <laughs> who knows, maybe the maternity ward. It's like recruiting. It gets earlier and earlier. Yep. <laughs> exactly. I think I think Jalen Ray is the number one recruiter in the country for volleyball. Should be walking around maternity ward. <laughs> looking around. Who looks like a good prospect for 2042? <laughs> That's John Baylor, voice of Nebraska volleyball. Hey, JB, we're... Uh, we hope you uh, continue that trip and dri- drive safe, and we'll uh, talk to you again next week as practice gets going for the Huskers. Great to talk to you guys. Cal Ripken of, of the radio, missing today. The Iron Man gone for a week. <laughs> you'll, you won't be jackless next week. I presume he'll be back. Yep, he'll be back. Hey, have a good one, JB. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, we'll uh, wrap up LNK Today with Jack Friends next on KLIN. Waking up the capital city with the help of Nitro Cold Brew Coffee from Broken Rail Beverage Company. This is 1499.3 KLIN. Thanks, John. Wrapping up a Tuesday here on LNK Today with Jack and Friends. Doug, thanks for another awesome morning coming in. That was good morning. That was a lot of fun. Fun to hear from John. Yeah, thank you to John Baylor, Jason Ball, Joe Jordan for joining us today. Tomorrow is a What Chaps Your Hide Wednesday. We'll have John Bishop on as well. Kill Meets coming up next, then Clay and Buck, Sean Hannity, Drive Time Lincoln tonight, Dr. Paul Terman, Chancellor of the Nebraska State College System. He'll be in with Commander Jack Riggins. That's it for us here on a Tuesday. It is 9 o'clock. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends. Check out the podcast at klin.com. From the moment-